setup for it was a complete shit show. Like we damn lost setup days than we should have. We stayed till 6 a.m. The event day, I remember like I lost my voice from screaming <laughs> for a calm person as me. Like it was crazy. We couldn't finish things on time. We had issues of registration. There was like a huge queues of people uh, waiting, people like trashing us on like Twitter and so on, like complaining. But that event with all this that happened, this was the inflection point when we really grew. That was the year that, that, that made us because we like scaled so much. It's the, the most similar example I would say is like when, you know, you have so many people coming to your app site that your service. So when we had like physical real life servers. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Elevate Podcast. I'm your host, Delaney McGuire. Here on the show, we're all about products and people who make an impact, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, product leaders, anyone building an impactful company, creating a ton of income, and making a positive impact as well. Today on the show, we have Ray Dargham. Ray is the founder of Dubai's largest technology conference, the STEP conference. He's also the founder of Spider Frogs and has built a very fascinating portfolio of companies today on the show. We talk all about how he's grown his conference to include thousands of startups that he's helped raise millions of dollars of capital, uh, building tons of relationships with venture capitalists, and really just thinking through how he goes about building brand through memorable experience. There's tons of insights for potential founders, for venture capitalists, anyone looking to really grow their network and their net worth through technology. So without further ado, let's jump straight into the episode. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Awesome. For the audience listening, I had the fortune of connecting with Ray at a networking event here locally in Austin. And Ray's going to share event. a bit of... It was, right? It was actually one of the best networking events I've been to in a while. Ray will share with you about his background and share about the very fascinating and impactful conference he's built in Dubai. But besides the very impressive resume of Ray, what really stood out to me when we were at this networking event was I had actually just launched my mobile app the day of that event. And anytime I walked past Ray, he would pull me over and tell whoever he was talking to about the app and tell them to download it. And like, we got a bunch of downloads at the event. And once I got to explore a bit about your background with STEP, with your conference, and the fact that you've helped thousands of startups connect with potential investors and just find a platform and an audience. I was like, oh, that's why this is second nature for him now. It seems like you've <laughs> really been operating and gotten super comfortable in the space of um, being at, at a really interesting intersection of startup founders and just the technology space in general. Yeah. yeah. But I, was, I very much appreciated that. Yeah, and you made me feel very special. Yeah, of course. I mean, besides that's like partly what I do. I think I've launched a few things here and there and I know how it is in day one, right? When you're, when you're starting every single user download counts. And it's just so important. And then after that, it becomes like a word. So yeah, it's when you work on something for so long that launches, it's like a very important day. It really did. Perfect jump off point, Ray. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? What has your career in technology looked like? What are some of the big accomplishments that you're most proud of? And what are you working on today? Yeah, so I started initially in 2011. I actually started Step, which is a platform conferences for startups. And 
sort of space, mainly in Dubai and the Middle East. I'm originally Lebanese. I'm from Lebanon. At that time, and particularly in that part of the world, the startup ecosystem was still very nascent. Not many people knew about or wasn't as sexy to be like a founder as it is today. Not many startups were around or VCs. So I initially started Step with college. It's simply small events, a different twisted experience. Uh, initially, we were doing the art gallery. And then moved to Dubai after that. This was not the first happened. And I bootstrapped that, started another like a technology agency called Spider Frog. So bootstrapped the way to do it, especially when you're right off college. The advantage when you're right off college is that you don't need a lot of money. You're used to living small income anyway. So that's one advantage. But you still need you know, some income to, to bootstrap the business. So starting a services business and this project base was very helpful in fueling stuff, which was a conference business that no one was going to trust us right off the bat with giving us sponsorship money or even attending the events, right? We were like, nobody is when it first started. So I used that to bootstrap the stack. We did the first event with people event in 2012. And then we just timed it really well. Besides doing something, we timed it really well, but the space really started to grow. So we went in one year from eight startups to 80 in the next year, between 2013 and 2014. And then we were doubling in size every single year. So, you know, those two events, thousands of attendees, hundreds of speakers every year. Our, this year in Dubai will be our 12th year. It's done 12 years of conferences, thousands of startups, different sizes. Some of which have become very big companies who started with us. Yeah, so I've had a lot of these companies play a small part of their journey. Primarily, one of the many reasons that companies are starting to start the step, the primary reason is to fundraise. We've been very successful at matching and starting with VCs and other investors that are looking companies, especially the seed drawing state. I love that. Yeah, there's a ton of things that I'd love to jump into there. One part that I find really fascinating, especially for early founders, is this interesting dichotomy of how do you fund the project that you're working on, whether even if you're going to put most of your own muscle and time and energy into it, to really get something off the ground, you almost always need a bit of extra income to pump into that. I have some ideas why you chose spider frogs as the input, but I would love to hear your, and just the interesting dynamic, right? You want yeah, to build this really cool project. To, yeah. It's not the best way to do it. I would say not necessarily already right now, like starting another company to company payment. It's not the, because you're going to go run into it. which I did run into it. And you need to run one. Best way to do it, I would say, there's probably three really good ways. One is, depends also like how old you are and where you are. If you're 30-something and have a family, responsibilities are different than that. If you have savings or, let's say, 
assume that you do have some responsibilities and you need some income. One path that I've seen, it's very controversial. People do it and have succeeded at it, which is if you have a job, keeping that job again, slowly kind of building MVP into something meaningful that you can see that there's traction and then there's a right moment where when you feel it, that's when you equate fully focus on yourself. That's great. I've seen many people do. I think that's, that's a great way because you do risk a little bit the time with having no income, no personal income, and that's long. Even if after leaving that job, you're probably going to be without a salary as a founder because a lot of founders will not take salaries in the first year if there's significant uh, income. So you kind of need to plan that. So that's one way. Another way I've seen others do is similar, but like doing some consultancy or projects to generate some income. It's also a good way to keep minimum savings if you have a lot of savings from before. The fundraising path is, it depends on who you are. If you're a known founder, sold the company before, then it's probably easy to remove it to start it. That's not most people. So it's like a minority of people. It's always good not to raise like ground away It's like things of family or whatever. Hold on again until you see this good function that you said. Because well, the moment you have investors on board, regardless who they are, it's a lot of money in general. There's multiple ways, but one of the best really is if you're very young, graduated in 21, that's around the time I started my company. And it's, the best talk is you literally like willing to sleep on a couch or something. Live a very small amount of money. You're, you're going from what you already were doing before. So it's, nothing will change as much. But once you get used to a fat salary or certain lifestyle, going and traveling, et cetera, very difficult to, to reverse that. Go back to very silly like lifestyles. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I really appreciate you breaking down those three paths. My myself, I definitely have wrestled or gone back and forth in the, those different camps because I think the first time you decide you're going to start a software product and you start doing some research on the internet, I don't know for me, and I feel like a lot of people will stumble into Y Combinator's set of resources and tools. Here's how you build this technology company, and of course, they're all about venture capital and why cap, like that's the path we should go on. And I think even though there's so much room for more resourcing and learning for early founders in the space to just understand the nuances and the pros and cons of each option, that just feels like the status quo and what you should, the approach you should take. And there's, I also think some sexy allure to the idea of burning the boats and jumping all in. But at least for me in my career path, I've always been someone to have two feet in both pools, creating, having that sense of stability. And even if you have an opportunity to leave a job, if you're, if you're allocating 50% of your income to savings and taking care of yourself, but then have 50% that you can dump into your business. Yeah. That's really great. And I found that has allowed me to grow and at least make more progress on my different projects because I've been able to bring on a couple of virtual assistants or an assistant in a consulting group or something to support me in the things that I want to build out. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be willing to take like significant risk at some point that if you need to take that risk, if you're in a situation where 
you know, you're going to need to take that risk. You need to be willing to do that as a founder. Otherwise, like, I think when John Rune looks at not going to take insignificant risk this risky That does not mean that you should be taking crazy risks every single day. Be Being willing to take a risk if you need to is very different than being foolish and during situations. Yeah, like personally, I'm like generally like cautious, but when the time comes, I've been in that situation with history. You can really take a lot of significant risk, including like personal risk, but the way to do it means that safety to reading. That makes sense. Follow jumping off that thread a layer deeper. So of course, this is the answer to this question will depend very much situationally based on the company. But are there any through lines you see when you see all these companies raising capital, maybe your own experiences, the other startups you've supported? How can a founder determine when's the right when the right time is to go out and raise capital? Maybe some questions to think about, considerations or green flags in terms of this being the right move? Yeah, great question. There's a lot of things. I'll try to dissect them as much as I can. One important aspect is, and again, it depends on what stage of your business you're in, but like runway is extremely important. So if you have some running expenses, employees, or even if it's just one or two employees, figuring out how to stretch your runway the max, but also not run into significant risks. Like the risk that runway is very important in terms of determining when you need to fundraise money. Figuring out the time that's needed to fundraise is one that's extremely important with you. And I always like to take with everything, especially things related to finances and financials, take the worst case scenario. So always, if you think you need three months, then assume it's going to take six months. Always keep you know, need to keep two months of four. It's always double to, to, to kind of be on the safe side when it comes to things up. Sometimes you want to have that luxury, but ideally, when, I, when you're planning, like to like worst case scenario, when it comes to that. The other thing to look at is basically how you can optimize, which is something that I understand if your funder is a bit too early before you have the traction needed, that could mean that you're going to spend more time on the road trying to talk to different investors and get as much positive responses as you should versus pushing your focusing on the business. It's a full-time job like fundraising for a company. So the other thing is just to focus on getting to the traction that you really need and then go all out. And, and that will make your fundraising cycle like a lot faster. Um, and usually that happens by reaching out at certain time to investors or maybe not necessarily friends, but you might have, have some relationship with them or know someone that knows them where who can give you like some honest feedback. And once you get that feedback, you can, it can help you determine the timeline better. So if you feel that particular investor needs to see more tracks and it's uh, something good to take as a consideration and then knowing how to time fundraising theory. Yeah. There's a bunch of things. There's never, again, a right answer or wrong answer because also you know, 
or macro factors that could be at play or other things. There's a lot of different things. So it was never hundred percent uncertain. The best way is to justify to optimize all of these things to the best you can. So that, you know, the timing is, is perfect. Yeah. I really appreciate that answer. I know that's not an easy question to answer. And I've yeah. asked a variation of that to different guests. So I think regardless, someone listening episode over episode, will get a couple different lenses into that, into thinking about that, or really even just understanding what kind of questions we can be asking ourselves as founders, because I'm sure most founders are re-asking themselves this type of question every couple of weeks to determine yeah. the right next step forward. I'd love to dig into the step conference a little bit further. I wrote down, I was taking some notes between 2012 and 2013, you guys grew from eight startups to 80. I think once a company has gained traction, some of that will just catalyze and grow, but that early achievement for you guys feels really fascinating and really significant. What did you guys do between your first and second year after you learned, get, gained some insights, gained a bit of traction after closing out that first event? What aha moments did you have that allowed you to really grow exponentially going into that second year? Yeah. I'll say I'd be like, right, well, if I tell you that we had it all timed out, we did not <laughs> at all. It was more. Perfect. We were just, yes, it was just that we were doing what we like doing, basically doing very community driven things that we're doing. We utilize actually email in a significant way. So even before, like now you see emails from founders every single day in your inbox, but back then, like, that I really had to utilize it very early on. Just send the emails person to our entire community. And that really was a very good job to communicate with the community. So because of that, and then we focused a lot on the making the great experience for people, even when they were small. So we always went to the unconventional venue, did the unconventional stuff, made things around. So by focusing on this, which we enjoyed as a team, we were just in the right place with a good message and the opportunity that comes up. Because of that, Tiffany Poros was then stored up space, not because of us, but just because of other, other people doing well. Was it the right time where it's going to scale and part of the world during those years? So. I'll give you just like an idea around that time, there were maybe like four or five known VCs. Now there's like 150 that you can. Wow. Like known ones, significant signs, signs, and like frequent checks, et cetera. So that, that's scary and news is significant. And we were like very early on. So that we were set up to see to scale with it. So what, because of that, and we had the right thing and people needed events, startups need events, uh, VCs need events. VCs, they want to grow their deal flow for startups. They want to find the right investors and then promoting your company, et cetera, that we are. So, so. Yeah, we were just at the right time and, and I can tell you that one of, one of the years, and that's sometimes great. So one of the years that I believe it was 2015 event when I went from 
750,000 employees at one more. We didn't expect, we didn't plan or expect, but we knew that we were growing. So we moved into a new, we were also like event entry. Big professionals in the space. It's not like we, we, I think, many guys, but no, it's like just figuring it out on the way. And then, and then that event, like the start of it and the setup for it was a complete shit show. Like we, damn, lost setup days than we should have. We stayed at 6 a.m. the event day. I remember like I lost my voice from screaming. <laughs> For a calm person as me, like, it was crazy. We couldn't finish things on time. We had issues of registration. There was like a huge queues of people, uh, waiting, people like trashing us on like Twitter and so on, like complaining. But that event with all this to happen, this was the inflection point when we really grew. That was the year that, that, that made us because we like scaled so much. It's, the most similar example I would say is like when, you know, you have so many people coming to your app site at your service. So when we had like physical real life servers <laughs> right. yeah. on the ground, not virtual <laughs> servers. Where everyone uh, can see it. Yeah, where everyone can see it. When that happens, whether you're something, something somewhere, it's doing something. When you're like open a restaurant and things are going it's great because it's great as long as you figure out how to quickly fix the issues. You want them to, you want to be in that situation or you have so much to do. That you know that you have a working and you know that people want me. Now it's just about making sure that you're fixing the stuff that needs to be fixed as quickly as possible. Yeah, I feel that every founder should like strive to get to that moment as soon as possible when they start a business. Mm. I love that. Let it be messy. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Very interesting. So I honestly personally want to tease this out for my own understanding. So you said early on and valid that it's a bit of a different ecosystem now and you may not differentiate as much if you were to do the same approach. You said you were emailing your community. So when you said that, are you saying that you had essentially an email list of anyone interested in technology or is this most specifically an approach reaching out to technical founders who you want to come and be a part of the experience? Is this how you reach out to attendees as well and VCs or was email an approach for one subset of the people you were bringing into this experience? It was both. It was on one hand, there was people who would attend any of our events or anything. So it's like only manic. But the difference in approach, which again, you have to think about the time when this was done, because now I yeah. it's it, it's staying warm. In 2012, one, like a lot of the emails that you would receive were like very obvious salesy marketing, like newsletter and emails that were not personalized at all. Tools to do that. And even when I started doing that, there weren't necessarily the tools to do that. I felt that there was, there was a need to be like personable. So I used to send all of them. It's come from me personally. Understand coming from the company's name. Yep. Type and subject lines. Right. Feels like I'm just developing you personally. 
this kind of email list. And this yeah. is like a lot of emails that are going around, like regular to hundred people on the speakers that have joined, like the ticket shop, that was like everything. And I was writing them myself. It helped a lot. It helped a lot. There was like a really a key communication channel with people. It helped us like stand. I think it's important if you can, doesn't work for everyone. As a startup or as a company, if you can nail down and stir one communication teller instead of trying to do money, become really good at one and stand out in it, it's like much more effective than trying to do all of them with your. That could be, yeah. for example, now you see a lot of people on Twitter and founders specifically. You see some people massive following on Twitter. They're doing really well and that significantly helps them with their people. One example, like Winston Mendes on a founder Poppy.ai, I think his name is Paul. Here he's doing it. Andrew also from Acquired, several leveraged Twitter as a communication channel to help them scale their companies and bring them. It's a great, it's a great channel. I love that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of merit to that, especially when you look up how to do mar growth marketing for your company, whatever comes back to you will probably tell you to do all the channels. And I think especially yes, as a time, a time limited founder where you're trying to build your startup, you may also be working another job to pay for that startup and you're trying to run your company and put out content. The it's shoe's got to drop somewhere. It's not possible. Yeah. yeah. Theory is something and application is something else. So. Right. Yeah, I would definitely value, like, also, by the way, even if you have the resources, like, even if you have some resources, trying to nail one channel is so important. Like, yeah. It doesn't mean that you're not existent. I think that's why you're 90% of your time, one channel is splitting up your time on channels, right? But sometimes it might need some, I think it's, it should be driven from what you as a founder love the most or enjoy the most. So if you love Twitter, then try to do that. If you love Instagram, so whenever like you really have more comfort. Yeah. And that will make it come more naturally. See, oh, what's the best platform to focus on and then just go. <laughs> yeah. Learning curves. Okay. Thought experiment for you then. And I have a bit of background to be able to ask this question. I know you shared when I was asking what's next for you at this event, you were thinking, yeah, maybe we'll start step up here in the United States or expand it. Using that as a thought experiment with some of these topics we're talking about, if you did make that decision and next year you were going to put on a big step event in Austin or a step event in Austin. How would you approach it with the current landscape of technology and marketing and yeah, what would you do? Yeah, that's a very good question because it's something that we're actually thinking about right now. So I don't necessarily have the answer. It's going to be like brainstorming with you. Perfect. I'm <laughs> here for it. Be done. The best. One, we're still figuring out like what's the best way to spend into, into the different ideas there along the way. So we're still kind of coming up with ideas and questioning some of them and trying to figure out what's the best way because we 
We, we already expanded from Dubai into Saudi, but we haven't expanded from Saudi. We've looked at Pakistan, for example, you know, virtually. With emerging markets, a lot of difficulties and challenges going through. It's unknown. So that's one piece. So we're trying to still figure out what's the best approach to do it. But for Austin specifically, which we've given more thought to, really the angle that we would focus on would be, would be to primarily focus on immigrant boundaries. And there is a lot of immigrant boundaries in the US. You can one of them moving here. But essentially, the US is like a fraction step in the world's family. If you look at some of the top startups, you'd see that a lot of them are like first generation immigrant founders and more second generation industries from all over the China, all over the world. So some of the most successful companies here. And these people just immigrated to the US and became very successful immigrant founders. So that's one focus and giving your voice and a platform to some of the newer founders, immigrant founders that really be not already necessarily in the US or just came here. More familiar. That's one part. The second part is connecting or building bridges between emerging markets and the U.S. So both startups and VCs in the United States are looking to expand or do different things in other parts of the world. It's being eligible account if I can That's one, one way we can those bridges be built on the other way around as well. So we see uh, companies in uh, Dubai and at least this market in the world. It's, and these guys are also all this end together. That's really what we feel initially with where we can the most value is we learn a lot of things and focus on entrepreneurs. So founding your focus is important. Being able to most importantly deliver some value, right? So again, the value that we deliver generally is the connections that we VCs and investors primarily, you know, and startups and VCs primarily, startups and others uh, within the space that can help them grow their We can add that value in a way that others are not doing or need. That's what we're trying Then, obviously, this is that idea now, but we'd only learn once we start doing it that we might be wrong. Mm. We'll see. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. What I hear in that is identifying a way to differentiate. So not just being another tech conference, but finding something that you as a founder are very passionate in and actually differentiates you versus other founders, which is being an immigrant founder coming from a different company or different culture. But then it feels like when you're reaching out and forming those connections with these VC firms or startups, you have a very authentic common ground that's also the differentiator for the company. So I imagine imagine it must be easier to build those initial conversations and get introduced to the right people when you have that frame. Yeah, hundred percent. We would really want to build like wherever city we go into, we'd want to do something to be like, hold on, hold on, we wouldn't want to build like this like 
you're an actual event that's coming where build it from scratch as if it's a very community driven from the local community and grow those over there. And start with a probably a like smaller event what we really do. And then drive it locally to the community. And we also like to attach a lot of culture elements and specifically is full of culture. Right. <laughs> so yeah, we we don't want to have a be like a true Texan like event <laughs> that has a certain focus rather than zero that's coming sometimes. I love that. I'm just picturing Austin having tacos, like CBD water and like ice baths and saunas is what would be there probably for everyone. Yeah, that's these are good ideas. Yeah, I'm gonna write them down. <laughs> oh yeah, trust me. We got it for you. You spend enough time here, you'll just know. Uh, I love that. That's awesome. And that's really insightful. And I think as a potential attendee, I'm sure I would love that feeling even if it requires more work on your part, but creating that really authentic experience for people. What, so two other questions, uh, like really digging into the secret sauce for you guys. When you think about adding value, what are you guys doing? And it doesn't have to be extremely tactical, but as someone who really understands the minds of what these early founders are looking for, what kind of systems are you putting in place or how are you thinking about how you orchestrate the whole step thing to deliver that value? Are, is, it, is there like a coaching element? Are you just like pre-framing and helping them prepare for how they should show up to the conference? Have you built systems yeah. to connect them to the right people? What extra value are these companies and also the VCs on the other side of the table getting because they're choosing step versus a different random conference? Yeah, there are different ways. I'd say there is, there is something that works for a majority. One thing that we keep in mind as well as specifically a very limited time actually they probably would pay for it you're wasting their time that's for them as more hurtful than money to get small we try to really keep that in mind while the the way we do it in different ways, uh, one is we increase our focus on free family meetings. Um, so we guarantee startups with, with meetings with PCs. So we, what we do is we basically pre-match before you come to the event. Investors are participating with calendars and you know, they guarantee like one or two meetings and they take it when you come to the event. So these are meetings that we curate for you and you have a book time, a specific time, a specific days. Other than that, there's different ways to participate. One primary way is the Instagram, which is the startup booth. It's a, you know, a small booth. It's your out there, low cost. It allows you to basically meet people and generate more meetings and on the third part is there's a percentage of the those who throw at the at the base camp, which is typically in Hungary and startups that showcase per year. So out of these about fifty would go on to to participate in the pitch competition and they would pitch to you know, judges and then those are get like top three 
be able to close only rounds and integrate from the poster to the exporter they get. So yeah, those are some of the primary ways and a lot of them are centered in tracing because that's the primary, still like the primary reason that George, the companies participate. So it's different ways to, to participate as a startup. And the primary reason, again, is to fundraise and meet investors, set meetings that we give you. And then there's the startup base camp where you showcase for a very like low cost and put yourself out there to generate more meetings. And then a percentage of those who part of the startup base camp would go on with Spader Bird and there's that pitch competition. It's where 50 startups will compete over the two days and then there's three at that and that generates a lot of PR for their own learning over. And then besides these, which are the most important ones, something called mentors corner or also strong words mentors and like meetings so these are critical again it's about how well can you can, can a startup use their tongue to make the most out of we've tracked we can't track everything but we've tracked some deals that end or initiated we did uh, two years ago, we celebrated 10, and showcased with us years back and then you know, raised tens of millions or hundreds of millions. Mm. So there was just like years, just the people. So it works. The thing is that like finding investors when you're a startup takes bit of time and effort and events is one of the ways, but you got to put yourself out there, try different things. It depends also like what level of founder you are. Again, if you're a second time founder, you were successful before, it's a lot easier for you. Probably know a lot of things around you. First time you to the space, done and a lot of people. When I heard the more people start enter as well. All of these guys need events. They need to call send Especially right now when the market's kind of like dried up. A lot of these deals are happening versus absolutely. Yeah, I love hearing how you're thinking about that and it makes a ton of sense even just from a anyone building a product or a company, putting yourself in the eyes of the person you're designing for and figuring out, it sounds like what you've really thought through is what are all the main problems or the biggest pain points or opportunities to add value and streaming together a bunch of very creative ways to do that. And I love the idea of realizing time is such an important value and that you're not just scoped into the time at the conference, but you're expanding that, the pre, the during, the post, and how do you interweave these things together to optimize what they're yeah, getting from that experience. Yeah, exactly. very cool. Very cool. I know there's a ton of other things that we could have dove into in this conversation, but I think one last question I want to ask to really close the loop on everything we've been talking about. You shared when I asked what you wanted to cover on this podcast, one of your skills or things that you've been focusing on in your career being building a brand through memorable experiences. And you talked about how important fun is when you're designing the specific experiences themselves. One, 
why is fun so important and why are memorable experiences so important to building a brand? And how do you think about those two elements? Not just you can answer in the context of specifically the event, but as a broader brand company, the experience beyond just the core event itself. Yeah, I mean, it's extremely important, I think, to just whatever you're doing, whatever you're, sometimes you might be building a very boring, right? <laughs> <laughs> and like, just to do, to, if you as a founder are doing it and show that as you're going along, it really plays a tremendous role in building the right culture first within your team. People embrace them as well. And that will show in your product. So once you do it, that will translate from internally your culture, which starts with you initially as the founder, then transfers into your company culture, then transfers from there externally into your brand and into your customer. Goes through like multiple channels. Yeah, that, that's like the road or the fun needs to take to get to the which that's where you'll connect to which is through your it's being used whether it's a service or physical. And you can see it very evidently with, for example, I think the biggest example, Elon does it with Tesla and Space Eric's and all these companies. And they're nothing close to being boring. They're just fun companies as well. So it comes a bit easier there, but still, you know, others building they're not as fun. And that mm. comes through again your merch, your experience, but it has to start from what it you can to be very fake to do it to take short If you're not enjoying it, I'm having that passion and fun within the company. It's not gonna get to the question. I think that's where it starts from. And that doesn't mean that you're not serious, obviously. So I think fun and serious can go together. And sometimes it's about doing small things that are maybe not necessary, but important to do it just for fun. Like one, mm. one of the examples I can give you for us is many times we've come across this when planning or events, like the physical experience event, sometimes you can look a lot of cases and that we've been in time after time, we've learned it overall over the tools that we've done it is that say you're very quite on budget for the things to spend on adding an AC unit that's important to have there and adding other things, but also you come across things at such difficult times where, you know, you want to add some guy with a costume on the stage, not very <laughs> important. You can go without it. The event will still be fine. It's an important item to spend on brings in experience and so on. Mm. So making that decision, like these moments uh, were important for us in many times. And they proved later on to be very necessary in building that experience. So they're really like long-term investments. Again, that doesn't mean that you go and splurge. You have to manage the budget and do that at the same time. But what we see a lot of our competitors do is that it was kind of like already, like they don't spend on any of these things. It's like, it's only if we need it. I love that. I feel like that is just, you don't lose if you take that mindset. 
like you may make some mistakes or things may not go your way, but if you're genuinely optimizing for fun, I feel like everything about what you're building is going to be better. You're going to enjoy it more. The intrinsic value is going to be greater, probably upside for your customer experience will catalyze over time. You have to live in your own brain as an entrepreneur. So it might as well be a fun place to live and the culture you're building with your team. Yeah, eventually it will just make your your life better, right? It's you and everything. I love that. Awesome. Ray, really appreciate you being here as we close out. Are there any resources that you've been really enjoying lately? Books, podcasts, anything that's supporting your mindset as you go out and build and add value for the world? Yeah, I'm continuously like listening to stuff and reading stuff. It depends on what contact. For me personally, I go into phases and some phases of certain things and phases of other things. Absolutely. So right now, like one of the books I'm listening to is, is, is like kind of more politics related. More tools that have helped me, also, which I think a lot of founders as well, like this India hackers, cool dudes, et cetera, it's a forum. There's a guy called Lulu as well, it's Airbnb. He's great. Yep. Very good. And you've got it. Actually, knowledge. And mostly, like, Twitter is great, right? If you follow the right people, if you curate the right people that you follow, it's like uh, an amazing flow of knowledge and things like you can measure it. Yeah. Perfect. We'll definitely include those in the show notes. And last but not least, people who want to get involved with a little bit more of your world, where can people find you? How can you learn about STEP? And the other yeah, thing. So, yeah, stepconference.com is where you can find everything about STEP. We turn in our dance. This one. So we do have people on the other step. Why is a great place to do this research? Yeah, I'm ancient Twitter, so I'm most administrative by me. Perfect. One of those great people to curate your feed through. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Not as good as many others, but I thought. Hey, we're doing the best we can out here. Ray, thank you so much for being here. I know I learned yeah, a ton from you, and I know our guest did as well. So, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>